0: Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we're going to begin reading at chapter 2, covering a little of the ground that we covered in our reading last time, uh, starting at verse 17, just so we can recall the context here. But we're going to focus on verses 6 through 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now you'll recall that um, last time, Paul focused a bit on his and Silas 's conduct as the spiritual fathers really of the church the the ministers who brought the word to the church in Thessalonica, which wasn 't a church there was a there was a synagogue uh, most of the Jews of which rejected the message that he brought. But the Gentiles, they responded, the God-fearers who were attending synagogue, the, the pagans who heard from their God-fearing friends and came and listened to Paul and Silas preach and were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And Paul spoke to them about how they behaved and why they behaved in that way so as to reveal Christ through not just their words but their very lives. Well, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. I, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our beloved, or our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you. That we would suffer tribulation just as has happened. And you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. Amen indeed. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas departed from the city of Thessalonica far sooner than they desired. I mean, here they were in a new city where the gospel had never been preached. The people, a great multitude according to Acts 17, responded eagerly to their preaching. And it was a time to do that, to preach, to harvest a field that was clearly ripe, to disciple these new believers in the Lord. And these new believers desperately needed the discipling. Most of them were Greeks with only a, a small knowledge of the Scriptures. They were mere infants in Christ. I mean, they had learned to recognize the misery of their sin. They had seen how God delivers them from their misery by Christ. But there was, theirs was a very basic faith. They had had little instruction about Jesus' significance for the rest of their lives. They knew little about His promises for the future. They had precious little defense against false teachers and heresy. Yet there had been no choice. The church insisted that Paul and Silas leave because their enemies were fierce and were closing in. And because these young Christians knew that the gospel was desperately needed elsewhere as well. And therefore the apostle and and the minister Silas, their lives needed to be preserved as much as possible. So Paul and Silas departed. Yet they did not leave. Their hearts, in a very real sense, remained with these new believers in Thessalonica. As soon as they were able, they sent Timothy to instruct and to further nurture the faith of these Thessalonian believers. And yet still, Paul and Silas longed to be there themselves. To know, firsthand, had the saints stood firm? Were they growing in the faith? Their enemies, had they crushed some of these new believers? Would their labor in Thessalonica be for naught or would it flourish? Anxiously they waited for word until finally at last Timothy returned to them and brought great news. Our text for today is Paul expressing his response to Timothy's report. And it's a response to which we all must pay attention, especially those charged with the spiritual care of the church. We see here how these separated spiritual fathers long for the maturing of their children in Christ. That's the theme that we see here and it's a theme that has great uh, insight for us concerning the the care that we are to bestow on those under us for the the elders of the church concerning the the members of the church for the parents concerning their children and the grandparents concerning their family below them for those of us who are walking alongside of those who are less mature though though we're not ordained into office yet we still have a responsibility for them under our care and for all of us then this passage has great insight great instruction so join with me in considering how these separated spiritual fathers long for the maturing of their children in Christ. And we see that longing, first of all, in the way Paul and Silas eagerly receive word of their perseverance, which is what we see in verses 6 through 9. Starting in verse 6, Paul summarizes Timothy's report. He has come with good news of your faith and love. Now that twofold news is important. Because it shows that they truly are in Christ. Many are they who profess with their lips all the right things. They respond to the gospel at least on a surface level. They know guilt, grace, and gratitude, right? They know the the essential doctrines that they ought to know. But if that profession of faith is not mixed with love... What good is it? John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then he says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see, love doesn't save us. Our faith in Jesus is what... ...joins us to the Savior who delivers us. But if our faith is real, it will be manifested in love for others. It will be manifested in love for God. Because love is always produced in the hearts and lives of those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And so when they hear of the Thessalonians' faith and love, they rejoice... Because they see in that the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work bringing his, the children of God to, to Himself. And there's more. So deep is their love for Paul and for Silas that that which weighs heavily on Paul and Silas weighs heavily on them as well. Listen to the end of verse 6. That you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. What beautiful evidence of the Spirit's work. I mean, Paul and Silas, they have longed to be restored to these saints, right? They long to have that intimate communion whereby they can build them up and share in their trials and experience life together with them. And now they hear that these saints, they long for the same thing. They want to learn from Paul and Silas. They want to be built up and strengthened. They want that communion that they once knew. Beautiful evidence of love and of passion for one another. Well, Timothy's report is like like water on a drought-parched land. Hearing what Timothy has to say, Paul and Silas, drink it in. Consider how they had to have viewed these Thessalonian Christians, their children, their children. I mean, they had been the ones that planted the seed of the gospel in their hearts. They had been filled with concern for these young Christians. Had they, had they stood firm or had they fallen? Are they steadfast or do we mourn? But now they hear their children <clears throat> remain in the faith and love of Christ. Their children long for their presence even as they long to be present. What cause for rejoicing? Verse 7 tells us this came to Paul and Silas at a difficult time. He writes that, that they were at that time in affliction and distress. They had experienced distress because of their service for Christ. They've experienced imprisonment and physical abuse. Their names and their reputations have been slandered. But this news from Thessalonica brings relief in their distress. We were comforted concerning you by your faith because their faith was fruit Of the work that Paul and Silas had done. Proof that their labor was not in vain. So Paul and Silas, they were willing to endure affliction. They were willing to endure hardship and slander. As long as they knew that their work was not in vain. That these people were coming to know the Lord. To be rescued from their sin. To gain a a taste of eternal life. In fact, Paul greets this news. With such excitement that it nearly explodes from him. Listen to verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. It's as though they were in limbo, standing between life and death. But now that they've heard that these Christians live, now they can live truly. And when word, when word does come bringing this excellent news, it is God whom they thank. Don't overlook that. Paul and Silas received this long awaited news of their their spiritual children's perseverance. And they recognize that perseverance isn't their work. It's not something that they have accomplished. It's what God has done. That's the case with all of our labor, isn't it? We act, we work, we sweat and slave over the task at hand. But in the end, it is God who gives the increase if there's increase. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is God who allows us to accomplish anything, who allows any of our work to be profitable. And so He is the one whom we are to thank. In fact, they speak of their thanks in the Greek. The way they speak of their thanks is, is as an obligation or a debt God has seen their labors. God has heard their fervent prayers. God discerned their hearts. And He chose to bless abundantly. How can they not thank Him? How can they not give Him all the praise and all the glory for what He has done in Thessalonica? It is God who has given life. God who has held these young Christians in His hand. God who has allowed Timothy's work to bear fruit as well. And God, therefore, whom they must praise and acknowledge as the one who has done this all. And so it is for us. I mean, simply for the fact that we've received our own souls through salvation. We owe God an eternity of praise. But more. We have received the knowledge of the faith and the love of our fellow saints in this church. We have seen the evidence of the faith and love of the gospel in the hearts of our children and grandchildren. We have the joy of knowing that we have friends and family members and neighbors who know and love the Lord, whom God has allowed us to have at least the smallest influence upon. And it's God who has brought forth that fruit. You know, we're doing all kinds of things to the house lately. And um, about two weeks ago, I planted grass in what used to be a a chicken pasture and in in the old garden. And, you know, you plant that grass, you you sow the seed, you put the fertilizer out there, you cover it over with, with straw. Every day you go out and you spend time watering Getting up, from, getting up from my desk every 20 minutes to go and move the waterers. And, uh, and you wait. And that's all you can do. And then yesterday morning, I, I looked out the window from the dining room and I saw this green shimmer coming up above the straw grass. It's growing. I couldn't do that. We can't do that in the discipleship that we do among one another. We labor. You elders, you go out and you do your family visits. You explain the text that you have brought to this particular family. You seek to apply it to these children, to these parents, to these grandparents, to this individual or that. You ask questions that seek to diagnose their lives. How are they living? Are they showing the love of Christ? Are they struggling in any ways? You seek to apply the balm of the gospel to bring comfort to those who grieve and also the sharp sword of the Word of God to cut through to the heart of those who are bound up in their sin. But no matter how skillfully you wield that sword, no matter how compassionately you layer on that balm, you cannot provide what those people need. Only God can. And so when you see that fruit, and what an amazing blessing and privilege it is to see that fruit, to see lives being changed, to see families being knit together, to see the gospel bearing fruit in our midst, give thanks to God. Give praise to Him alone. You'll receive, you'll receive honor from those whom you've helped. And that's wonderful. That's a great feeling. But remind them it is God who has done this. It is He who has transformed your life. He is the one who has been with you time and again and has made my feeble efforts worthwhile. We ought to all have, as elders and ministers and deacons, we ought to have a passion for the building up and strengthening of this congregation. We should. I mean, these are the saints to whom God has joined us and whom He has set under our care. Deacons. God has set these people under your care that you might meet the needs of those who struggle, but also that you might lead all of them in serving the Lord, in showing forth the love that ought to accompany faith. And you ought to be so passionate for them, so passionate, filled with with a desire that they might show forth the image of Christ that you can't wait to see how will it come forth how will it be revealed you elders as you look upon the teenagers among us and you see all the potential and the possibility and the children you see their eagerness and their fresh faces and the adults you see them taking their their wedding vows and bringing home that first child and and going from job to job or home to home. It ought to be our passion that they know God and they put Christ first in every bit of it. And in fact, that passion should be echoed by each one of us. We have been knit together as a body, joined together as one with Christ as our head, and we have all different Gifts and all different abilities among us. But God has made us one. We dare not come here and think, this is the place I go where I worship the Lord. No, no, no. This is the body to which you are joined, where together we worship the Lord. Even when we're scattered in our homes, we are one body. We are one church. And we must be passionate to see the church grow to see the, the the saints being matured are you passionate do you love do you delight in these saints to whom you've been joined especially you who have them under you you parents concerning your children you teachers concerning your students You deacons concerning the congregation in its serving and you elders concerning the the leadership of the congregation entrusted to you. Are you passionate? If you're not, then pray that God would give you that passion. Pray that He would lay upon your heart the love of Christ Himself for His people. That you might shepherd with the love of the chief shepherd. That you might guide and lead with the example of Christ Himself. That you might... Parent with the love of your Heavenly Father. And as you pray that, God will begin to fill you with that passion. God will begin to fill you with that love and concern. That you might long for the perseverance and the care of these people. Well, Paul and Silas, they express the enormity of their thankfulness to God and of their love for the saints in Thessalonica. But then they continue from that. <clears throat> Verse 10, Paul writes, night and day they're praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, what exactly are they asking here? What is the prayer that they testify here to praying? Well, taken together, we see that Paul and Silas earnestly desire a share in the perfecting of these Christians. And that desire involves two parts. They earnestly desire a share in the perfecting of these Christians. And that begins with desiring a share in the maturing of these Christians. They long to return to the work at Thessalonica. They were driven off by Satan. Now they want the Lord to overturn Satan's power to reverse what Satan has done. Look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Thus far the way has been blocked as we saw at the start of our reading. They had made every effort to return, but they were thwarted. In fact, Paul writes that Satan himself stopped them, desiring to prevent them from working to mature these saints. So now they're asking the Lord, overthrow Satan's opposition. Defeat the serpent's design. Because Paul and Silas, they want to share. They want a portion in the maturing of their spiritual children. They want to be used of the Lord in bringing those children to adulthood. And they desire to see the fruit of the seeds that have been planted. So great is their desire. Verse 10 says that we have been praying exceedingly. That word exceedingly is rare in the Greek. It signifies something that is entirely beyond all possibility of measuring. Night and day, 24-7, they pray earnestly, pouring out their heart and soul that they might have a share in maturing these spiritual children. Why? Because they are hungry. They are thirsty for being involved in the lives of these people whom they love. It's addictive to them. When I was studying this, I thought about running. For, for the longest time, I haven't been able to run. Um, and I just was able to start again over this last month. It's been wonderful. For people who don't run, they have no idea what I'm talking about there. They think, how can that be wonderful? Running, running hurts. Why would you do that? But, and this isn't just true of running. It's true of hiking. It's true of swimming. It's true of all manner of exercise. When you first do it, it's hard. And you, you maybe don't want to. You have to force yourself that first quarter of a mile, that first half of a mile... But then you start to experience the joy of using your body and feeling it grow stronger. And you start to enjoy and to delight in that opportunity to set aside all of the struggles and all of the pressures and just focus on the Lord. Praying to Him. Communing with Him. And you come back and and you realize that you've de-stressed. Your stress has been Put off, and you've transformed it into sweat. And it's just such a wonderful release, and then you're able to dive back into your work with renewed vigor. For those who understand that, it's addictive. And that's what Paul and Silas are experiencing, are expressing here concerning the maturing of the saints. They have tasted the effects of their ministry in Thessalonica. They saw the saints beginning to recognize the significance and the depth of their need for Christ. They began to see the lights coming on and the lives being changed and the faith being expressed. And now they hear from Timothy that that work has continued and has increased. And they want to get back in there and do it again. They're like an an athlete who has been sidelined because of an injury. They can't wait to get back out there and train and compete and do what they were made to do. Their desire is nothing short of a passion. Brothers and sisters, do we have that sort of passion for the work of maturing the saints? Let me speak again to the elders, both you who are active in the work and you who are currently inactive. Is Paul's passion for maturing the saints a passion to which you can relate do you understand the rush of counseling someone and actually seeing them begin to change? Do you know the joy of seeing understanding bloom in the face of a catechism student? Is, do, you, do you long to visit those who are sick and lonely and grieving because you know that you can bring them the comfort they need through the gospel? Is it your earnest desire, your craving? To see lives being changed and souls being delivered and families being transformed by the word that you are privileged to dispense. Brothers, that must be your earnest desire. That must be the prayer that you pray night and day. That must be the longing which convinces you that you are unworthy of your calling, even as it convinces you that you cannot turn away from that calling. And if that's not your experience, if that's not yet your earnest desire, yet then pray that God would fill you with that passion. Pray for that passion and then pray for the opportunity to express that passion. And like a new runner, you'll find that it's difficult at first. You'll find that that first few steps, that's so hard and you have to just will yourself into it. But then you'll find that it's tolerable and then you'll find that it's delightful and then you'll find that it is your passion. And and not just you elders. Also, you deacons, as you do the work of of finding ways to serve with the gifts in this church. Finding ways to to lead the saints in serving the congregation and the community and the world. And you wives and mothers. You daughters of the Lord who, who serve and guide the families entrusted to you. And you who are mere, mere children. We all ought to share in this desire. First First Peter chapter four, verse ten. Says, As each one has received a gift, each one minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, in first Corinthians twelve, verse seven, we read, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What that means, beloved is that all of us are called to this work of ministering to the church. Now, to be sure, we don't all minister in the same way. Elders and and ministers, they serve according to their office, likewise deacons. But so too for parents who minister in their own way, for grandparents who minister in a different way, for teachers, for those who are simply role models. All of us have ways in which we are to minister and build up the saints and serve with the gifts given to us. So we all should share in this passion of Paul and Silas for entering into that work of discipling. Pray for that passion. Ask God to replace your natural self-centeredness with a deep love for others. Ask God to give you a longing to see the folks around you embracing Christ in concrete ways. Pray for God to give you such a love for them that it cannot be ignored. And then pray earnestly for opportunities. Opportunities to sit and listen to those in our congregation who are hurting. Opportunities to give godly counsel to those struggling with sin or weakness or stress. Opportunities to invite into your home... Those who have not seen a Christian family in action. Those who are alone and lonely. That's our ministry for maturing the saints. So let us long for a share in that ministry. Expressing that longing in our continual prayer for passion and for opportunity. And then act on the opportunities that He gives you. I know it's not that easy. It's hard. It's hard to reach out and to minister to those in need. It's hard to befriend people who speak offensively or act foolishly. It's hard to sit and listen to folks whose misery is of their own making. It's hard to love folks when their lives are so very messy. But remember, your life is pretty messy. You also are a work in progress. And Christ is using others in your life to bring you to greater maturity. So be that person for your neighbor whose life is even messier. And like a new runner, you'll find that those first few steps are so difficult. But soon it becomes easier and more enjoyable and a blessing about which you are passionate. So that's the first thing that they're longing for. They're earnestly desiring a share in the maturing of the saints. But then... In verses 12 and 13, we see that their desire, their longing is to have a share in perfecting the saints. Listen to verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. May He make you increase and abound in that love. Listen, faith in Christ is... If its real faith is never alone always it leads us as we saw earlier to show love as a means of showing gratitude to God invariably the work of the holy spirit within us will lead us to begin imitating Christ and the the imitation of Christ leads us to show a love that is in many ways blind It's a love that encompasses the people in our congregation, the people in our family, sure, but also the people at our workplace, the people in our neighborhood who may be very different than you physically or ethnically or in terms of their background and their experience, but because God put them in front of us, we begin to love them. We're called to love them. It's a love that is blind, but in another sense is very quick to see. In that this love to which we're called is a love that sees the way Christ behaves, sees the character of Christ and seeks to imitate that. And follows the example of Christ in seeing those around us and seeing their needs and seeking to meet those needs. Paul desires to lead his spiritual children to express Christ-like love that overflows from them. So that more and more, They might show the image of Christ so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. That's what Paul is longing to lead these saints to become, blameless and holy before God. God has told us, you are mine, therefore you are holy. But at the same time, He gives us the command, because I, the Lord your God, am holy, therefore you also be holy. You see, we live in the already, not yet. We already are God's children, and therefore we already are holy. And yet, if we look at our lives, we see that we're not. We're still a work in progress. We're still becoming holy. And so Paul longs... To so work in their lives. To so bring them the word. to, To encourage them and build them and strengthen them. That he might begin to see this perfecting at work in them. Now it's not an unrealistic desire. Because he says that he doesn't expect this to happen until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. He realizes this is a long goal. It's a lifetime effort. But he wants a share in that effort. He desires eagerly to have a share in the work with these people whom He has come to love. And that needs to be our desire as well. God ordained in His wisdom to use men to shape the lives of other men. He has ordained to bring maturity to His people through the counsel and the love and the example of those who are more mature among His people. And those who share in this work, we become God's fellow workers in spreading the gospel, in strengthening the saints, in encouraging those who are weak. It's an astounding privilege. Mind-blowing when you consider that God would share this amazing work with us as elders, as ministers, as deacons, as parents, as fellow believers. And so, brothers and sisters, we must long, we must yearn, To be used of God in perfecting the saints. Pray earnestly that God would so fill your heart with a love for them that you would be absolutely earnest, absolutely unquenchable in your thirst for leading them to maturity. Pray that God would give you such a love for the elderly saints among us that you would be eager to spend your time on the phone with them or visiting them or playing games with them once the homes open up. That He would so fill you with a love for the the unmarried members of our congregation that you would be quick to have them in your home, to invite them to your family events, to show them that they're part of the body of Christ, that God would give you such a love for the young married couples, that you married ones would bring them in and show them what a Christ-like couple looks like, that that God would give you such a love for the teens and the youth, that you would have them over, that you would work alongside of them, that you would help them to see what it means to live out our calling. Whether it's the calling to to study as scholars or the calling to, to fix a car that's broken in a way that reflects Christ so that more and more you're drawing them closer to that perfection to which they're called. It doesn't come natural to us. Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we just want to be left alone so we can do what we want to do. But if we pray that God would give us this kind of passion for the hearts of the saints, if, God, if we pray that God would make us to earnestly desire a share in the perfecting of the saints, He'll answer that. And soon we will have opportunities. We already have opportunities to influence those teenagers, to bless those young married couples, to invite those single members, to visit those elderly, to go and do what needs to be done in perfecting the saints around us. All we need is His courage, His insight, and His love. May this be our prayer. That we might long for the maturing of those entrusted to our care whether the congregation as elders and as deacons in a different way, or our families as parents, or our fellow saints as members of the body of Christ. Let us pray that God would give us a passion for maturing them, earnestly desiring to see their perseverance and also An opportunity to share in their perfecting, in their maturing. And God will hear that prayer. God will use us to His ends. And He will deserve all the glory. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father. May You work within us the love and the care for the saints that You desire to see in us. And may you make us to be fruitful. That as we speak, as we love, as we embrace one another. Your love might be shown, your word might be imparted, and your character might begin showing forth itself in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.